Being glad that you're here this week. I want to encourage you every single week to be thinking about who you can invite. Uh, we'd like to see our men's lunch continue to grow. Somebody you know that you can call or holler at, pick them up or, and, and bring them here. Uh, this men's lunch is probably one of the favorite things that I do, that I get the opportunity to do, to teach men what God has said in His Word, that it means to exist as a, as a biblical follower of Jesus Christ. So one of the favorite things I get to do today, I'm going to get to talk about my second favorite subject. Uh, my first favorite subject is Jesus Himself. And anytime I can talk about Christ, I want to talk about Jesus uh, my second favorite subject is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it points us back to my first subject, Jesus. So today, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question for today is this. We're taking it from context. We're moving verse by verse through 1 Peter. We're in the third chapter today. But our question today is this. How do you endure in suffering? How do you endure in suffering? Life is hard. Things are tough. Unexpected things are hard. More than that, we suffer when we take up the name of Jesus Christ. How do you, how do you make it when you're being persecuted? How do you, what Jesus said, rejoice and be glad when you're hated and you're reviled for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of Jesus Christ? How do you push on? How do you make it when you cannot understand God's plan? Really, a question very broad, very big. How do we, how do you, how am I going to ever make it in the face of suffering? So far in the letter, Peter has made it very clear, and it's abundantly clear. You will suffer. You will suffer. In this life, in this age, you will suffer. Satan is proud about looking for somebody to destroy. The Bible calls this, Paul calls it in the book of Galatians, this present evil age, you will suffer. More than that, if you stand for the truth, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. Persecution is coming, and because persecution is coming, suffering is coming with it. That is a biblical fact. In this life, until Jesus comes again, you will face suffering. As we take a stand for Jesus Christ, persecution is coming. Look around today, and in that persecution, suffering is coming. I think it is very interesting today that there are many people who are trying to separate Christianity from suffering. I think that's a very interesting thing. They're trying to say, you know what, following Jesus Christ means that you're going to escape suffering. And, and whatever's going on, if you've put your faith in Christ, you're going to get a better car and you're going to get a good job and your, your health's never going to fail. And they're trying to separate suffering from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell you that, that draws a lot of people in. There's a lot of churches stacked full of people that are being told, you know what, life is hard and life is tough. And if you'll just put your faith in Christ, things are going to get good. And churches are growing with that philosophy. People are teaching somehow to follow Christ means that, that you've been set up on the yellow brick road and you're just going to skip and you're going to dance and you're going to eat candy all the way till we get to heaven. The Bible says actually the opposite. I don't want to cut our men's lunch in half today, but the Bible says actually the opposite of that is true. If you are living in this age, this present evil age, if you have taken a stand for Jesus Christ, you will suffer. And so the question is this. He's made that very clear the last few weeks. The question is this. How will we, how will you endure in suffering? Well, again today, it's a very awesome thing. Peter is going to tell us the answer. Friend, we stand in suffering uh, 
By doing a couple things. The first thing he says in verse 15, by sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts, which means we have set him apart as Lord in our hearts. How are you going to endure suffering? Only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only with your heart not divided, not chasing the things of a messed up world, but chasing and following Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see is this. We're only going to be able to stand in suffering by keeping our eyes on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means this, by remembering how great and how marvelous is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are you going to make it in these days? How are you going to stand in this time? You're going to have to consistently remind yourself, I'm going to have to consistently remind myself how awesome, how marvelous, how tremendous the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And we're going to see that in our verse today. I'm going to read the verse, one verse, verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read that verse, verse 18, and then we're going to come back and look at our gospel in that 18th verse. It says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Listen to that again. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that we might be that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. All right, from verse 18, let's look at our great gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. First thing we see today is this. In the gospel, we find the remedy for sin. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's what that means. In the gospel, we find the remedy for sin. Be sure and get this today. Sin is our problem. We run around, well, I wonder what the problem is. Sin is our problem. Well, I don't like to talk about sin. Sin means I've done something wrong. Sin means that there's a responsibility that waits down on me. It's not my parents' fault or it's not my environment's fault. Sin is our problem. Sin is what messes up our relationships. Sin is what breaks up our homes. Sin is what leaves us in despair. Sin is what gives us pain and grief and heartache. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is why we have cemeteries. Sin is why we stand at the, at the graves out of our loved ones and we weep. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin brings death. And I want to tell you this. Sin not remedied will put us in hell. Well, nobody wants to talk about that. You know what? Sin without a remedy and we're going to spend eternity in hell. But the good news is this. In the gospel, we find the remedy for sin. The Bible says this. For Christ also died for sins. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. He lives a life of no sin. He goes to the cross of Calvary and he dies for sin. Sometimes we wonder, well, I wonder why he died. Why did he have to die on a cross? Why was Jesus nailed up there and why did he have to die? He died for sins. The good news of the gospel is this. In the gospel, we find the remedy for sin. That's the first thing. The good news of the gospel is this. Why we need to remember the gospel is this. We find the remedy for sin, Jesus Christ. The second thing we see in the gospel is this. The gospel is settled. The gospel is settled. The verse continues on and it says this. 
For Christ also died for sins once for all. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Do you know what that means? What it means is this. It is finished. It is settled. There is nothing more to do. There is nothing left undone. Once and for all, for all eternity, the price has already been paid. Do you understand that? It is finished. It is settled for all eternity. We're not having to go back and pay more on the price. We're not having to go back and add to the price. The price has been paid. And you may sit there and say, well, what if my sins are too grievous? What if my sins are are too vile? You, You really don't know much about me. Maybe if you don't understand how wicked my sins are. What if it's not truly enough? Oh, how how would I ever be sure that it's ever enough that the payment is paid? Listen, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely. Another translation says, He's able to save forever to those who draw near. The good news is this we may be suffering. And times may be hard, but it's not because we're trying to earn or to keep or to somehow hold on to our salvation. The good news of the gospel is this, and we have peace in it. The gospel is settled. It is finished. All right, let's keep looking at the gospel. First thing we see, the gospel points us to the remedy for sin. Second thing, the gospel is settled. The next thing we see in this verse is the gospel is is substitutionary. The gospel is substitutionary. Now what in the world does that mean? Look at the verse. It says this. The just for the unjust. I'm going to read that again. For Christ also died for sins. Once for all. The just for the unjust. Now what that means is this. Jesus on the cross of Calvary died your death. Died my death. Jesus on the cross of Calvary took on our punishment. Jesus there on the cross of Calvary stood under the wrath of God, a holy God, poured out on sin, and he did it in your place. Now think about that for just a second. All of the anger of God towards your sin was poured out not on you, but was poured out on Jesus Christ. The righteous dies for the unrighteous. You see, the gospel is substitutionary. He paid my penalty. He stepped in and he had no benefit in it. He he stepped in and the righteous, the one without sin, Jesus Christ, he comes and he dies for the unrighteous, me and you, sinful people, and he dies in our place. Let me tell you, I start to look at that and I'll just tell you, I know no better news than that. That That is good news. I know no better news than that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That is the best news I know. Listen to the last verse of that song. And when before the throne I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. Listen, the gospel is substitutionary. The king of glory steps in and he paid your penalty, my penalty for sin. Good news. The gospel points to the remedy for sin. The gospel is settled. The gospel is substitutionary. Then we see the the fourth thing. The gospel saves. The gospel saves. Next in the verse it says this. So that he might bring us... To God. Listen to the whole verse again. 
For Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust, the substitutionary. So that, why did he do it? So that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God. What does it mean to be lost? I think we've, we've said this word so much, we've made it kind of a, a stupid word. We've, we've, we've made it a word that the meaning has been taken out of it. Well, they're lost. We're, we're praying for the lost. What does it mean to be lost? Does lost mean, well, you're just out of luck. You're down on your luck. It kind of means that. It doesn't really mean that. Does it, does it mean that you're, you're having a hard time? It, man, this person's lost, and look at all the, the terrible things going on in their life, and they're, they're having a bad time. Is that what it means? It, it kind of means that. It really doesn't mean that. Does it mean, well, they're out of the favor of God, and good things aren't able to happen to them. They're lost, and they exist out of the favor of God. It, it means that, but not really, not really the depth of the meaning. What lost means is this. Listen to me. Where you sit... You have no access to God. That's what it means to be lost. You are separated from God. Now, God loves you, but you're separated from him. God created you, and he built you for something tremendous, but sin is a barrier, and in your lostness, you need him. But you can't find him. You can't get to him. You have no hope and you're looking for hope and all that I might have hope and maybe it's in money and maybe it's in stuff or maybe it's in a relationship and those things fall apart and you find yourself with no hope and I have no hope but it it looks like God is my answer but I can't get to him. And you have no peace and you're living in in a mess and you're living in chaos and you go to bed at night and you got to drink 12 Coors Lights that you might be able to knock yourself out to go to sleep and you're tired and you have no peace and it looks like, hey, there might be peace in that God, but I can't get to him. I can't can't find him. And so you say, what I'm going to start trying to do better. I'm going to try and clean myself up and I'm, I'm going to pull it off and I've quit these things and I'm trying to shake myself up but you still see the barrier and there's still sin there and you can't make it to God and you, you have no access to God and you watch your life and you're dying. You're perishing and all around you you're watching death and your friends that are lost, they're marching to an eternity in hell and you stand by the gravesides of your friends as they pass away and you, you have guilt and you have pain in your life. Oh, that I could find God. Oh, that I could have a relationship with him. But you can't. That's what it means to be lost. You're separated from God. But listen to me, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus does what you can't do Jesus brings you to God. The Bible says you're made right. The righteousness of Christ, not your own. The Bible says you're reconciled to a holy God. And there is peace and it lasts. How awesome is that? Jesus carries you. He brings you to God. Pretty crazy picture. Being lost means you're separated from God. Being lost means you're separated from hope. Being lost means you're separated from life, and that's where you exist, and there's a barrier between you and God. You read in the New Testament and you read the Old Testament, there's a a temple there in the curtain. There's a curtain there in the temple. There's the Old Testament temple there, and there's a curtain there, and that curtain separates the holy of holies, the place uh, where God dwells, the, the innermost part of the temple, the place where the Ark of the Covenant's at, the place where God dwells. There is a big curtain separating anybody from going into the Holy of Holies. You read there, 
once a year, the high priest would have to go through all these rituals and have to do all these things and would have to get cleaned up and prepare to go and to offer a sacrifice there in the Holy of Holies. And you read the account, and once a year, if that guy was, was right and had followed the prescription of the Old Testament law, he was able to go in, and for just a second, he was able to offer a sacrifice to God. Read that account. There's really no communion with God in that. In fact, I think that guy's probably terrified as he does that. There's no fellowship with God in that. Just for a moment in God's grace, he allows, he allows this guy to come in or in and offer a sacrifice. But that wasn't what God intended at the start. Read the book of Genesis. He walks with Adam in the cool of the day. He talks with Moses as a friend. Coming there in fear and terror and offering a sacrifice, going through this curtain. That's, that's not the relationship he intended. But listen to this. On the day of the crucifixion, read the account. On the day when Jesus dies for sin and he comes and he's the payment for sin. He doesn't sin, but he offers himself as the payment for sin. And he does it once and for all. We're not having to go back and try to add something to it. We're not having to get a grind out and start turning the crank on the wheel to add something to it. It is settled once and for all. As he dies on the cross, the Bible says, he says, and it is finished. And the Bible says this, the curtain in the temple tore. And there is access to God. No more Separation. Listen, we ought to be so excited. There is separation. There is reunion. There's restoration because of Jesus Christ. And symbolically, the, the curtain tears and it falls away and we have access to God. He brings us near. Jesus does that. Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The good news is this. We are reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. Last thing, the gospel points to the remedy for sin. The gospel is settled. The gospel is substitutionary. The gospel saves. He brings us near. He does what we're not able to do. The last thing is this. The gospel is supernatural. I think we've lost the awe of this. Well, it happened. Well, it's in our Sunday school books. Well, the little old ladies, they've been teaching about this. We've lost the awe of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is divinely empowered and it is a supernatural thing. What it means is God did this. Listen to the rest of the verse. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust is substitutionary so that he might bring us to God. It saves. Having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Now, what that verse means is this. He is put to death in the flesh. Now, I want you to be sure and catch the vision of this. He actually, historically, physically, literally dies for our sin. The Bible says he is scourged. He is whipped across his back. Nails are really driven through his hands. Thorns are pushed into his head. He is spat upon. He literally, physically dies on the cross. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus is dead. But his spirit doesn't die. Nowhere does the Bible say his spirit dies. But he, has, he has a living spirit. And they take him and the Bible tells us that evening they, they're in a rush to get it done before the, before the holy day the next day. And so they, they, his friends come and I can't imagine this. They, they pull him off the cross. 
I can't picture that, but probably they had to pull him through the rest of the nails or try to pull the nails out from him. And they pull him off the cross and, and they, they see the beard that's been pulled out of his face and they have to pull the, the cross up out of it, the, the crown of thorns up out of his head. And he's physically actually dead. He's turned cold and he's stiff and his blood's starting to cake and to dry on him. He's, he's actually dead and they wrap him up and they put him in a grave. He's actually physically dead. But three days later, in the power of the Spirit of God that is Him, in the power of the Spirit of God that is in us, the, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us, in the Spirit of God three days later, on Easter Sunday morning, as the sun starts to come up, the, the stone has already been rolled away, and the Savior Jesus Christ, who is actually physically dead, he again stands and he walks out of that grave and he stands there and death has been defeated and the grave has been overcome and there may have been weeping that lasted in the night but now there is joy in the morning and I want you to see the power of this. Jesus who is dead stands there and he is alive and the light has overcome the darkness and love has overcome hate and fellowship is now offered with the Holy God and the power of the Spirit of God resulted in a physical resurrection Picture this. We've lost the picture of how powerful that is. Those angels, those angels, they came and in great joy they said, born for you today in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They sang and they worshiped when Jesus was born. I can't imagine as they watched the crucifixion, those angels stood there and they stood in gloom as Jesus is killed on the cross. But the Bible tells us the angels on this day say, why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here, for he has risen. The gospel is a supernatural, awesome movement of God by which we're saved. How are you going to endure? How are we going to endure? How do you make it in the face of suffering? Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll leave some word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for you. And I'm thankful that you forgive us as sinners. Each man here not worth two sins. Each man here knew the way to go, took the wrong way. Each man here rebelled against the holy God, spit in your face. We may act like we didn't. We may act like, well, we've, we've got it better than other folks. We're all sinners, each man here. But you love us. You forgive us. Your grace is extended to us, and you send your only begotten son. He lives a perfect life, and he dies in my place as the payment for my sin. He substitutes himself for me in an act of grace, in an act of mercy. He dies for sin and he does it once and for all and it's settled and we're not having to keep working at it. But three days later he comes out of the grave, he's alive and he's victorious. He's risen and now he reigns as king, a risen, resurrected Savior. That is our hope. I pray for some here that do not know Jesus Christ that they would understand that is hope, that is peace, that is what endures. Pray for us here that do know Christ that we would go back to our work, back to our days understanding the power and the greatness and the marvelous news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it shape us. Let it shape our hearts. Let it shape our actions, our attitudes. Let it drive us and propel us as we leave here. Let there be men who will stand as men looking at Jesus and remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. 
We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.